you are listening to the Pleasant View Baptist Church preaching podcast. We hope today's message will be a blessing to you and your family. Thank you for taking time to listen to our preaching podcast. I want you to fill uh, your mind with the Word of God. Uh, I would love to see what God would do with this church if every member would fill their self up with the Word of God and just let their whole mind be filled up. Brother Alan Barker said this one time about preaching. He said, I want to pray myself hot, read myself full, and let myself go. And I think that we should do that as Christians. I think we, should, we, need, to, we need to pray ourselves hot, read ourselves full, and let ourselves go. And it's amazing what we do in this community right here. It's amazing what God will do through us. And so as we begin to study this uh, passage of Scripture in this book, this, um, this uh, the, as my grandpa used to say, the little epistle of 1 John. Uh, that's how he used to call it, the little epistle of 1 John. Uh, as we begin to study this, this was actually one of his favorites. Um, I, there's a good chance, and I'm going to go to some of his notes that I've got. Um, I didn't this week, but because I'm really just doing an introduction tonight. And, but uh, when we get into this, I'm probably going to go to some of his notes and uh, refer to some of the things that he said. And, and I really what I want to do is, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm a preacher, and so I want to preach. But the Bible also tells us, and Paul told us to be apt to teach. And so I would love to be able to teach this in a way. And I think on Wednesday nights, that's a good time to, to do some teaching lessons um, on that. And I think, I think we can, if you want to look at it this way, kill two birds with one stone. Uh, we can teach on how I study, and we can also, and, and a way to study, not necessarily it's the right way or it's the only way, but it's a way of studying. And, uh, and it's not the same way, the way I'm looking at this book for this week may not be the same way I do it next week, but I, I'm going I'm to let you in on some things that I do. So what I usually do when I begin studying is I, is I read the whole book, and I'm not going to sit here and read this entire, I'm not going to read five chapters to you tonight and let y'all hear me stumble through this uh, uh, it would be comical, uh, to say the least. And y'all would probably be asleep in about five minutes because I don't read that good. Um, but uh, I am going to read the first chapter to you because that's where I'm hopefully going to preach through tonight is I want to preach through the first chapter of this book. And so, but, but when I first do it, I really just, I try to read over and over it again. Like I'll, I may put it on the Bible, uh, the Bible app and while I'm taking a shower or driving down the road or whatever it is I may be doing, I may just put that in my ear or set it up on the countertop and listen to it over and over and over again. And, and, and you say, are you, are you listening to every second of it? No, my mind probably does wonder every once in a while. But my subconscious and my soul is getting fed with the Word of God and it's getting fed with, with this. And so there's things in there that's, that's taking place in your mind. And so when I began to do that, I, also, I do that. And then what I do is, is after I feel like I've read it as much as I can, I try to get the best understanding of, of what I can. I try to look at where it's at in the Bible. No, we don't. Our, our Bible, the canon of scriptures that we go by in our King James Bible is not chronological. Um, I think when you study your Bible, you need to realize that. You need to realize your Bible's not in chronological order as it sets right now. If it were and you were to read it, you would begin reading in Genesis 1-1, and then before long you would end up in reading the book of Job, then come back to the book of Genesis, and then you would jump around out of there a little bit if you were going to read it in chronological order. So you've got to realize that. Uh, you also need to realize that uh, as you study, I think you need to understand who the writer is. And what's he facing in his life? And uh, what's taking place um, in what he's doing? Uh, if we were to read, if we were to pick up a, a novel today, 
this old boy is probably not going to pick up a novel. Not gonna, I'm just not going to do that, Brother Vince. That just don't, that don't crank my tractor. Uh, but now my wife, she will. And so what she'll probably do, I don't know if she does this or not. I didn't ask her. But it, I, if it was me reading the book, I know what I'd do. I'd want to know everything I could about the author. I'd want to know, especially if it's something about their life, if it's a story about the author's life. And so when we're reading these books in our Bible, realize it's a reflection of what they saw. It's a reflection of what they experienced. And, uh, and, and I think we need to understand that. And I, and I think reason why is, yes, God can and speak to our soul, and, and God can give us what we need to get, but I think that He wants to put some effort he wants to see some effort on our end as well. He wants us to see boots on the ground, if you want to say it like that, and see us dig in and study some things out. And, 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 and like I said, he said, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of the Father, who give it to all men most willingly. And if I'm quoting it exactly right. But uh, I think if we ask of God, he'll give us wisdom. But at the same time, I think he wants us to do some digging on our own. And, and so begin when you read a book of the Bible, I think you need to go find that author. And, and, and really dig out and find everything you can about him. And so tonight, let's dig into this just for a few minutes. And uh, um, I'm going to be in John chapter number, or 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 1 through verse number 10. And then we're going to study and break this down a little bit tonight and see how far we make it. But uh, he says this in verse number 1. I'll let you remain seated since I'm going to read the whole, verse, the whole chapter. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, with our eyes which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with, 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 was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Um, then the, uh, this then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin." If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Lord, I thank You for what You do for us, God. I thank You, Lord, for Your love, Your mercy, and Your peace, God. I thank You, God, for being with us today, God. I thank You, God, for Your protective hand. And God, I pray, God, that You touch us today, God, as we try to preach. I pray, God, that You anoint our words. God, I pray, God, You'll help us teach tonight as the word, out of the Word of God. God, I pray, God, that you would touch hearts, change hearts, change minds tonight, God. God, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts tonight, God. Open our minds. Let us learn something from your word tonight. God, I pray, God, if there is one here lost tonight, God, that tonight's tonight they'll, they'll get saved for it's everlastingly too late, God. And we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I almost said you could be seated. Uh, that's what you call habit. <laughs> Old habits die hard. But when I was studying this out, I found this out that every book of our Bible, if you study it out, you could probably pin it down to one verse or possibly go as far down you could pin a theme of every book of our Bible down to one word. And I did that for this. And for the book of 1 John, our theme word is going to be this one simple word, no. K-N-O-W, no. And the, the main point of, of the book of 1 John is that we know. 
what's going on in our lives, that we know what's going on in our church, that we know without a shadow of a doubt that we're saved. Um, chapter number 2, I believe it's verse number 13, is where this comes from, and it says, um, I'm sorry, that ain't, I don't think that's right. Well, it's in here, I promise. But anyway, I'll get you that verse I wrote down the wrong, apparently I just wrote down the wrong one completely, because that ain't right. I write into your feather brother, yeah, that's not right. I'll get it back to you. And I'll show you what that verse is, but it's not, it's not the right verse I wrote down. Um, but 1 John is a book about knowing. And so my title for this series of, of, of lessons that we're going to do through the book of 1 John is going to be this. Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance. And can I tell you what? There was, there was a great day when I got saved. I'm here to tell you one of the, great, the greatest moment of my life is the day that I accept Jesus Christ in my life. But can I tell you what was the best, what was close to that same day was the day that I realized I was saved. You know, there's a time in your life where you get saved, but then there's that time in your life when you realize you are saved. And you get that blessed assurance that no matter what happens, no matter uh, what may come your way, you're saved. Uh, you, there's nobody in the world can take that away from you. There's nobody in the world that uh, can try to rob that. You can't lose it if you tried. You, you can't. And that's the blessed assurance. And uh, I believe that's what John was trying to tell us. And... Uh, um, we uh, know less than, listen to this right here, the key word is no. In five chapters, no less than 27 times, does, Saint, uh, does, does John, does St. John use the word no, K-N-O-W. He used it 27 times in five chapters. Um, uh, and that's, that, that's the key theme to this verse. And, and, so, and also, another thing that I do when I'm studying is I, and this, this I'm letting you in on my study part here, is I look for patterns in scriptures. Uh, I look for, it, is the writer repeating something over and over and over again in his writings? And so I noticed here in 1 John chapter number 1 that, uh, or yeah, 1 John chapter number 1, that John repeats these three words, we, us, and our. He is trying to make a connection that we are one body of Christ. He is trying to connect uh, us, because I believe, and I, we're going to get into this in a little bit, that um, this book, this little epistle was written uh, not just to a Pacific church as Paul wrote his epistles. Uh, uh, when Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, he titled it the church, to the church under Ephesus, or, or, or not Ephesus, Ephesians, I'm sorry. He wrote to the church at, um, in, two, in Ephesians, or he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, or he wrote to the church at Corinth. Uh, he titled who he was writing it to. John here did not title who he was writing to. We will find out in chapter number 2 that he says, My little children. This phrase in the New Testament is a phrase that teachers would use to address their audience. Uh, John is writing to people who follow him and the teachings of Jesus Christ. I believe that John was, had a specific purpose in his life. And his purpose was to uh, help uh, the local church. Uh, understand that during this time, and I may repeat myself a couple of times uh, during this study, but that'll be okay. During this time, you've got to understand that um, this did not happen just a few weeks after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand that it didn't even happen a couple of years. Uh, when he wrote this, it did not take place a couple of years um, after uh, the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to the Father. You've got to understand that this happened probably somewhere to as early as 30 years to as much as 60 and 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that John begins to write. 
Understand that. Also understand that some commentaries believe that he wrote these, this uh, after everybody else was dead. All of his writings took place after Peter, James, and John, and even Paul was dead. That means he was the only one that uh, saw Jesus after his resurrection. After they saw, he's the only one living at the time uh, that saw the resurrected Christ. So put yourself in his shoes. You're the only one that had ever saw Jesus alive. Could you imagine that? Uh, Brother Grady, could you imagine being the only one uh, in the world that had ever seen Jesus Christ resurrected? And you are trying to teach people what to do. You've also got to understand is when we come into this uh, book and we begin to read this book, that it was written during a time of apostasy. That means there was false teachers everywhere. Um, they're just like we see today. Um, and so uh, John was trying to, to help people out. John had a heart to, to help people. And so he was, re he was writing this to help the people of his time, but I also think that he was helping us today. I believe he wrote this Bible, and the Lord gave him inspiration in writing this to know that he's trying to help us today, thousands of years later, as well as the church of that day. Uh, the apostle, look right here, he omits his name and character throughout this book. Uh, this is another pattern of John's writings. Uh, John, as you know, he does not refer to himself in any of his writings. Um, he, he does a little bit in the Revelation, but very little, and a lot of times it's, he's using it as the Lord speaking to him. And, uh, and so uh, he even refers to himself as the other disciple. You go over there and read over there when, after the resurrection and, and Peter and John are racing to the tomb. I believe John had a little sense of humor as well. Uh, they were racing, I believe they were running to the tomb, and he said that he outrun Peter. He could run faster than Peter. You can, you can find that over there. Uh, I believe I even read it on Sunday. that He, he said, and that other disciple who beat him there or, 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 or got there first or something along those lines. And you can find out there. And he doesn't refer to himself. Uh, he, he's the, the beloved, uh, John the Beloved. Uh, John, uh, and that's kind of how he's referred to there as to himself. He doesn't, he never uses that. Um, uh, uh, he, uh, along the other writer that didn't do this was also the writer of Hebrews. Uh, I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, I have theories. I have a theory that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I believe it's, and I don't believe he actually put pen to paper, but I believe he told uh, Luke what to write. And it's Luke's writing but it's Paul's words, if you get what I'm saying from the book of Hebrews. Um, but the book of Hebrews, the writer never gives his name either. Um, but uh, I believe this is either out of humility or being willing that Christian readers should be swayed by the light and the weight of things written rather than by the name that might be recommended to them. Uh, uh, we, and like I said, we see that throughout his gospel. So uh, for, for the first ten verses here of this book, we're going to look into them. First uh, John was written by John, one of Jesus' original twelve. I, I think we know that. Um, he was probably the disciple that Jesus loved um, the most. And, and along, he, was, uh, he was part of the inner circle of Jesus Christ. And you may say, uh, inner circles are wrong. Well, Jesus Christ had an inner circle. He had an inner circle in his inner circle. Uh, he had the 12 disciples, uh, who that was his inner circle, and then his inner circle, inside the inner circle of the 12 disciples, was Peter, James, and John. They were the closest ones to him. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. This letter was written between A.D. 85 
in AD 90, and it, he was in Ephesus when he wrote this. He did write this before he was exiled uh, to the island of Patmos. Uh, so this happened before um, he was given the vision of the revelation. Uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed in AD 70, and Christians uh, were scattered throughout the entire Roman Empire. Um, by the time John wrote this letter, Christianity had been uh, around for more than a generation. And it had faced several, several, and I repeat, several cases of persecution. Um, uh, this was a time where, where Christians were ultimately going to die if they believed in Jesus Christ. Uh, you think it's hard being a Christian today. Imagine being one back in those days. Imagine being one when, when if you just said the name of Jesus, they'd cut your head off not think not think twice about it. Uh, they'd, they'd just rather kill you than to see you live. Um, it was a lot of persecution. Uh, the main problem, though, confronting the church at this time was a declining commitment of people. And I hate to say that, but that's the problem with the church today is there's a declining of people who are willing to be committed uh, to the things of God. If there's one thing that we need to learn or if there's one thing that we need to know, uh, going back to our theme word, uh, if there's one thing that we need to know is that we need to be committed in these last days. We need to be committed to the things of the Lord. You want to know what to, what to find out? You're, you're trying to, maybe you're in here tonight and you're struggling with what to do with the rest of your life and you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do uh, for your life. Can I tell you, if you'll get committed to Him, uh, He'll get committed to you. Uh, you'll snuggle up next to Him, uh, He'll snuggle up next to you. And if you'll get close to Him, He'll teach you some things if you'll listen. And I believe that's some things that we can know um, through this book tonight, many believers um, were, were conforming to the world's standards. They were, follow, they, they were failing to follow Christ wholeheartedly. And they were compromising their faith. And uh, false teachers were everywhere they could be found. They were uh, accel accelerating the church downward slide away from the true Christian faith. And that's what was taking place when John wrote this. John wrote this letter to put believers back on track, uh, to show the difference between light and darkness, between truth and error, and to encourage the church um, to grow in genuine love for God and for, more, and, and for one another as Jesus had commanded them. Uh, he also wrote to, uh, to assure true believers of their promised eternal life and to encourage them that their faith was genuine as they could enjoy all the benefits of being, a God, being one of God's children. Uh, think about this right here for a second. Once upon a time, that phrase, um, one time at a moment in our life, do you remember as those words existing in your life as, as we would read a story and say once upon a time in a land far, far away, those words would open in our mind an exciting world of possibilities. As a child, these, these words of, uh, would, would, would bring into what we would call a dream world. And, and once upon a time, we would think in that mindset um, that we could do this or we could do that. And then all of a sudden, you turn the corner and one day and uh, that once upon a time um, became kid stuff to you. Um, that once upon a time moments in your life became kids to You discovered that life is a battlefield, not a playground, and a fairy tale, and stories were no longer sustaining. You needed something real uh, in your life. And I believe John was trying to write to a bunch of Christians who had literally lived in a la-la land. You think about it for a minute. You think about the quality of men uh, that were of the early church. You've got John, the beloved, who we're reading about and talking about tonight and who we're trying to preach on tonight. 
You got John the Beloved who walked and talked with Jesus. He was inside the inner circle. Uh, you got Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 got saved. You got these great men who saw some of the greatest things this world uh, has ever seen and now all of a sudden they're dying off. The generation that is before us is gone. And John begins to write his letter to a die, from, a die, from the perspective of a dying generation uh, to the generation that is behind them that's going to take up the stone, to take up the sword and carry it, pick up the torch and carry it another mile. And you know what? I believe that's where we're at today. I believe that we can pick up the book of 1 John and we could read it in the same context of the church today. There's a generation, I heard of another person dying just this week that was, uh, I worked with my daddy at Chatham. And, and you know what, it just makes you think there's, there's a generation that's dying off. And you think of the generation of preachers that are dying off. And who's going to take a stand? Uh, who's going to pick up the pace? And who's going to go in there for them? And you know what, God's looking for some people to pick up the torch. Uh, God's looking for people to pick it up and run with it. And uh, I believe that we can read the book of First John in that perspective. In the perspective of a, of a dying generation writing to the next generation to know that we are to serve God and to know that we need to move on for the things of God. The little children that John was writing were living in a world full of false teachers and preachers. They were looking for a reality that was fulfilling to the flesh instead of the real experience uh, that would feed their soul or feed their spirit. They were missing that. And can I tell you what, today, this world and even the church world that we live in, they would much rather see the, the, the fulfillment of the flesh over the feeding of the Spirit. They would, they would much rather see you lift their name up in lights than to get a hold of the prayer closet and get a hold of the spiritual things of this world. I, you just look at it, and, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to, to harp on this because I'm, just, I'm not going to harp on it. But it's just something that keeps coming up. This, this contemporary movement that, that is sweeping across our land very fast. Uh, it started in the early 2000s and it's continuing on. Um, they, they, very, they, crept, they crept in unawares, if you want to look at it like that. And they, there's this movement that, and what it does is it builds up the flesh. It makes you feel good. I promise you, they ain't much more going to excite you more than hearing two cannons go off on a stage. I'm all guy. I like to hear things explode. I like to see smoke rolling up. I ain't going to say I don't like it. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't. It does something to the flesh. It excites the flesh. Why do you think if you go tonight to wherever one of the, I don't even know who the top country singers are anymore, but the, one of the top country music artists tonight, and you go to his stage and watch him, it's going to be really dark and really smoky. Because it, 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 it appeals uh, to the flesh. Can I tell you what that drunkard's doing tonight when he sits at the bar stool and takes a sip of that liquor? Can I tell you what he's doing? He's fulfilling the flesh. It feels good to be drunk is what he's doing. And he's fulfilling, doing stuff that feels good. And this world wants to continue to do things that feel good. But can I tell you what? It's creeping into our churches. It's creeping into our churches to where we just want a feel-good experience instead of a true Holy Ghost spirit experience i'm sorry instead of a holy ghost experience the the search for something real is not new it had been going on since the beginning of history men have always looked for a reality and satisfaction in wealth thrills conquest power learning religion they look for it in lust they look for it in everything 
besides the things of God because it builds up the flesh. And that's what I believe, I believe John is writing during these days. Uh, there, there, there may be nothing really wrong with the experiences of this world and to a certain extent. There's some of it is wrong, but there's some things that feeds the flesh and I promise you it feels, I'm telling you how good it feels right now when you throw um, a, a, a lure out there underneath the old tree and you feel the bump bump for the first time. And you feel that old eight pound bass, boom, hit that thing and it starts pulling drag, Brother Vince. I'm here to tell you, that do something for you. If I don't crank your tractor, then there's something wrong. Women, I don't know what excites y'all. Y'all are going to figure that out on y'all. But y'all know the things that are exciting in your life. Every one of us in here, we know those little things that excite us in our flesh. We all know those little things, whatever it may be. Uh, I promised you the other night we went to a ball game. And, uh, man, I love baseball. Have I ever said that? I don't know if I've told y'all that or not. I don't know if I've ever said I love baseball. I love it. We got out there, and my nephew was out there playing. And you know what? It wouldn't take long. My, my flesh started feeling pretty good, you know, uh, seeing them out there playing ball. There's something about the smell of pine tar, you know, something about seeing little boys over there in the dugout getting their big land, their big chew out, you know, their bubble gum. That's all it is, but they didn't know that, you know. But, and they wad that. I remember I used to I make myself sick on that stuff just so I could have that big old chew in my mouth. I'd get out there behind the third base, and I'm going, oh, God. And I say, you put too much of that in your stuff, it makes yourself sick. And, and, and there's just something about that. There's something that, there's just that, that thrill of seeing them go out there and they're winning. I mean, they, they kicked some tail the other night. They beat Elkin. What was the score? 21 to 1, Brother Vince. They put a licking on them, put them, beat them in five innings, 21 to 1. Man, I was happy for them. Man, it made me feel, I was feeling good in the flesh. We, every one of us has those things that makes us feel good in the flesh. But the pride, there's nothing wrong with it. There was absolutely not a single thing in the world wrong with us going the other night to that ball game. Come Saturday morning, y'all want to see something funny? Y'all come over to Mountain Park Elementary School, and you go watch me get out there with a bunch of youngins playing t-ball. And I promise you, I'm fulfilling the desires of my flesh because I love it. I love being out there. I get excited. Uh, especially one of them come up there, Aaron, the other night. Uh, he, got a, he got a hold of one in practice. I'm here to tell you. About not, Brother Vince, he about took me off a mound. He hit it so hard. And I'm here to tell you, it made me feel good. Got out there in the yard not long ago, and Colt hit one in the front yard. I'm here to tell you, he whopped it. And I went, that's my boy. My boy right there. You know, I, that, it made me feel good on the inside. But the problem is, we have let this feeling good, that excitement, that, that, that adrenaline rush that rushes through our body fulfill us so much that we've missed the things of God. And John writes his letter to get us back. And I've got, I'm, I'm going to try to get through this. So I'm trying to put you in perspective of where John is and what's, what John is trying to do and why is it so important that we understand and that we read from the little epistle of 1 John. Uh, why I always wondered why my grandpa, if he preached, I promise you, later in life, especially as he got older, if he preached, he was going to the little epistle of 1 John, he was going to the little epistle of 3 John, or if he was going to the gospel of John. He was going to preach after John. It was the truth. That's what he was going to do later in life. And I think I know it's because we're getting down to the end of this thing. And John had, had John seen some things uh, that was taking place in the future. And John wrote to a generation from the perspective of a dying generation to a generation that was trying to pick up the torch and keep on keeping on for the things of God. And he was trying to write to them and teach them some things. And so digging into this, I want to look at three things tonight real quickly, and I'll try to be brief and just, I mean, I promise you, I got, 
I got five pages of notes right here. I ain't going to lie. And I just went through page one. And so I could give you a whole lot more tonight. But I'm going to give these to you and then we'll go home and, 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 and do something. I don't know. We're going to eat something. I promise you that. I'm about to starve. Uh, but number one tonight, when I begin to read this, I see this right here. And y'all go with me here. Could you got you to put yourself in my mind now because I'm giving you this, this outline. And bless your heart if you get in my mind. That's all I got to say. Because uh, there's about 17 people speaking to me right now. And I ain't answering none of them. Y'all get that in a little while. But anyway, uh, I, was, I, I was trying to study this out, and I really, I like to alliterate things, even in my study. I like to try to find things in Scripture that I can alliterate with, that way that it's, it's catchy to my mind. And if it don't ever catch to my mind, it's never going to catch to your mind. Paul said this when he preached, uh, he talked about this when he preached, and he said, when I preach that I myself become a castaway. Before you ever get the messages that I preach, if I don't become a castaway, I've missed my mark. If I don't first preach to myself and get something out of it, you definitely ain't going to get nothing out of it. Uh, and and that, that, that's where I kind of get when I'm, when I'm studying. So number one tonight, when I'm looking at this, and we're only, we're only going to make it just, we're not going to make it out of chapter number one. I see, first of all, God's living reality. I see God's living reality. Another pattern that you can find is how writers of our Bible start their books. Look how John begins each of his writings especially the Gospel of John and 1 John. 1 John, he says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with, with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, now does that not sound very, very similar to this right here? Let me write it and you have it marked, but it ain't going to take me a second to turn over here to John chapter number 1 and read you the first, the first, chapter, the first couple of verses of it. This is, this is his Gospel. Got John's gospel, the gospel according to John, in verse number 1, 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Uh, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything that made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Look at the pattern that you see there. He, he began it the same way. Um, John, right here in verse number 1, he never hesitates in telling his fathers about the living reality. He begins his letter the same way that he starts his gospel. He said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, the first four verses, now get this, this is pretty interesting in studying. Uh, one thing that you need to learn to do, and, and, and if you're studying to understand your Bible, is to realize that when you write from Greek and you translate it to English, there's not an easy translation. It doesn't translate very easily. Um, the English language is so complicated. There's a little video out there, um, and I think everybody needs to watch it. It's, a guy, it's an old video, probably from the 70s. Um, uh, it's it probably 70s, 80s. I don't know how old it is. But it's a guy, and he comes out there, and he says, he talks about the word bomb, B-O-M-B, and then he changes the first word to dumb, or changes the, la the first letter to dumb, and you're like, so bomb, so shouldn't it be uh, dom? Bomb and dom, if you were to change the letters, no, that's not how it works. The English language is confusion. How many theirs do we have? Hmm, theirs, theirs, and theirs. And you got these, that's, and I get so confused. Uh, I promise you, if you see some of my text messages I text you, and, and, there's, and the grammar is correct, it's probably because my wife edited my text message. Uh, there's times I can watch her during the service on my iPad. She can, she'll change my outline because I didn't put the right these and theirs and those in there and she's following along on my outline on her phone she just stuck her head around the corner she'll probably whoop me later for that and i'm just kidding uh, uh, but anyway but uh uh 
Uh, there, there, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, the first four verses right here, it's talking about the translating of the Bible and how it doesn't translate easily. But I want you to notice this. In the original Greek text, I'm talking about what John would have wrote down on paper. Now, you look at your Bible right here, verses 1 through verse number 4. I want you to take a look at those. And I want you to, to ponder on those just a second. That is, in the Greek, that is one long run-on sentence. That is one long run-on sentence. He does not pause. He does not catch his breath. And look at what he's saying. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands, have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. I believe what he's trying to tell us right here, and he was excited. He was excited in what he was trying to say. He had so much to say that he just made one long, one long run-on sentence to start out his book. Um, and and it's, it's, um, John fervently repeated uh, uh, the, the, the tangible physical experience that he and his friends had with the, Lord Jesus Christ, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's nobody in this room has ever hailed Jesus. None of us in here has ever touched him. But John did. And John tells the people, he said this, I've touched him. I know he's real. I know because I have an eyewitness account of what he done. And John was trying to tell the early church this. The early church was listening. You just got to understand how much false teaching was going around. During these days, you can follow, you can find where the Roman, the Roman Catholic Church begins. You can find Eastern Orthodox begins. Uh, you can find where all the other uh, corrupt religions uh, uh, was branched. It all came from during this time, and it all came from false teachers and false preachers. Then John was standing here. He said, I don't care what they're telling you at the synagogue. I don't, tell what, I don't care what they're telling you down at the market. He said, I don't care what they're telling you over here and over there. John is saying, I saw him with my own eyes. I touched him with my own hands. I heard him with my own ears. I, I was there. I, I experienced. Uh, uh, he reiterated that Jesus was a real human with a life rooted in a flesh and blood human being. Uh, the Bible said this in John 1, I believe it's verse number 19, I believe it is, or, or 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He repeats himself, and he is telling us this, uh, for our faith is not just a story. It's based on real events seen and heard by real people around a real person about the one and true living God. And John is repeating that to him. When we begin to read this letter, we notice that there is no, reci no, uh, no recipient named in the first verse which tell us that this letter was intended to be distributed out to the masses. That means it was to go to every living soul in the known world. And I believe it was to tell them that, that he knew of the real and true living God. Look right here. There's five things real quick. I'm telling you, you got a lot. I'm going to just give them to you. I ain't going to preach them. There's the eternal nature of Christ that he talks about. Uh, uh, this, was, uh, this was the word Jesus or John using the phrase, um, was right here. It says, that which was from the beginning. That is a phrase that means was already in existence. Uh, that means he's an eternal nature of Christ. We see the divine thoughts of God spoken by human voice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, all he was was the divine thoughts of God spoken by a human voice. 
Then we see what his eyes, he said, what the eyes have seen. Jesus was not a ghost or a phantom. He was flesh and blood. He was visible to any human that wanted to see him. They saw him raised from the dead. They saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him heal the lepers. He called the lame to walk. He set, the, he set free the demonized. He cleansed the disease. He restored the fallen. And he fed the multitudes. He was, they saw him with his own eyes. They beheld his, or, or they beheld him, or they, they, uh, they gazed upon him to behold, or look upon means to give attention to, or to uh, reflect on us. They, they saw, and then lastly right here is what they felt with their hands. Uh, the followers of Jesus touched him physically. They were physically touched by him. Uh, they touched him not only during his ministry, but after his resurrection from the dead. They physically, he said, uh, 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 Thomas thrust his hand into his side felt his hands. Um, he did all that. He touched him. And Jesus was real. He had the physical flesh and he had the blood of man. His, his touch was healing. It was fortifying. It was cleansing. Uh, it was the cleansing touch of God. And he still touches people today. You know what? Jesus has never reached down out of the, out of the, the ivory palaces of heaven and touched me. But I promise you there's been times in my life when I've picked up the Word of God and I began reading the Word of God and the Word of God began to speak to me and began to, to work in my life. And that is God touching me. And in the darkest days of my life, I felt God touch me. Uh, and, and we're going gonna, gonna to have to move on. I see God's living reality. I see the Christian life revealed. I see God's living reality, but also see the Christian life revealed. This life which the apostles proclaimed is intensely personal. Uh, the apostle John um, had a long-term personal experience with Jesus Christ. Three and a half years he spent with him personally. Uh, John knew Christ as face-to-face. He knew, he and the other disciples had heard Jesus speak. They watched him as he lived with them. In fact, they studied him carefully. They touched his body. They knew Jesus was real. That They knew that, that, that Jesus was a real human being and that he was God incarnated in man. Yet it was not the apostles' physical uh, uh, nearness to Jesus that changed their lives. You look at that. It was not their physical nearness to God. It was this life, this spiritual presence or the life of Jesus that changed them. It was receiving life that saved them. I promise you right now, I never touched Jesus and that ain't what saved me. I didn't go to some cross and grab a hold of it and, 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 and plead for my innocence. Uh, can I tell you what I've done? I, I bowed my unworthy head and... God reached down further than I could ever reach up and He cleansed me. He pulled me up out of the muck and miry clay and set me on my feet and established my goings. Uh, and He revealed to me the Christian life that I need to do, that I need to follow. Look right here. Jesus was real and He was exciting to John uh, and his colleagues because they had trusted Him and they had trusted that His experience in His life. By trusting Christ, the life of Christ became manifested in their lives. Look at the word manifest. It means to bring to light or to make known what already exists. It means to bring to light or to make known what already exists. Jesus, uh, Jesus made God visible and tangible. Since God is life, Jesus also revealed the reality about life and about God in himself. You've got to realize this. They, they knew God was real. They were Jews. Most of, most of them were Jews. They lived in Israel. They were Jewish people. They knew God was a real, but then God became flesh and dwelt among them, as John said. God put himself in a human body, and he became flesh and dwelt among them. Look right here. Jesus made, uh, uh, Jesus made God visible and tangible. Since God is life, I read that already. Spiritual, eternal, and abundant life is manifest in Jesus Christ. 
Life in Christ is real. It's not fake. It's eternal. It's not temporal. This life in Christ is, is, is an eternal experience. Uh, when you get a hold of Christ, it's not a one-day thing. When you get saved and God living in your life, it's not a one-and-done deal. This is not how it ends. Uh, can I tell you what this life is about? It's about a constant renewal of what God's done for you. Look right here. I see God's living reality. I see the Christian life revealed. Uh, uh, the, just the life of Christ ex in, in, taught us how to live as a Christian. But God's living reality, Christian life revealed. But then I see this right here. Long-lasting rejoicing. Long-lasting rejoicing. John says, In these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. That's what John wanted. We need to live this life like we're full of joy. Because we are. <laughs> Can I tell you what? There's times where this life does get hard. You know, there's times in this life where I want to mope and moan. Can I, can I just be honest with you? Can I, can, I, can, I just, can I just be real with you for a minute? There's times in this life where, Brother Grady, I just want to get mad. I want to get up under juniper tree, and I want to toot the horn of the pity train, Miss Michelle. I want to do that every once in a while, but you know what? When I start doing that right there, if I'll just realize what God's done for me and realize that where I would have been had it not been for Him, I would, set my, I would, I would get myself up and get excited. Um, uh, uh, I believe it's Paul, I'm, and, and don't hold me to this, I don't know exactly where it's at, but I believe it's Paul, and maybe in the book of Thessalonians, I'm not 100% sure, but he says, I thank myself uh, to be happy. I thank myself to be happy. You know, so many times we just want to get on our pity train and say, poor, poor, pitiful me. We just want to say, oh, look what I've done. Oh, this is, this is it. This, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me. But so many times if we just realize what God's done for us and realize that we're full of joy, that we have a lasting rejoicing because of what life's done. How can we have long-lasting rejoicing? Verse number 3 speaks of fellowship found by trusting Christ. This is how that we can have everlasting uh, rejoicing. And what that means, or, long, or have long-lasting rejoicing, is have a fellowship with Christ. Fellowship means this, a partnership. Think about this, and I know we don't have a piano player, and I 